This is From the Newsroom, and this week we'll discuss the recent shakeup at the Hope College Music Department and the concerns raised by some of the faculty members. I'm Brian Reynolds, Digital Director here at the Han Sentinel, and I'm joined by editor, editor Sarah Leach. Hello. Hi, Sarah. You've been the point person. Well, you've been the, the lone reporter on this story. Yeah. You've really uh, <laughs> <laughs> expanded your job responsibilities by actually going back to my roots. Getting back to your roots. Uh, this story that we're going to talk about this week has been bubbling, I guess, kind of under the surface for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who may not know, uh, there was a recent shakeup. Well, recent. What six months ago? Well, um, there was we didn't really have the finality of some of right. uh, the outcome of some of the investigations yeah. until actually earlier earlier this month. Okay, um, I, you know, my part in this was going to take photos of the protest mm-hmm. of the I students. Believe that but I think was in we're, November we're, before things. We're getting ahead break. of ourselves yeah. at this yep. point, so I will let uh, step aside and let you. <laughs> Unravel the threads here that um, uh, beyond this story. And I think if you're an alum, if you're a student, if you're a parent of a student that goes there, um, if you're a faculty member, mm-hmm. this is a story that's got some, like you like to refer to, tentacles. Mm-hmm. And, and this an is an octopus story. Yes, yes. this is this is wide ranging. So please. Okay. Well, um, this was a, it's an unusual, for, for our involvement, it's got unusual origins. We were approached by a couple of community members back in August, I believe, of 2018. And they were people who had some sort of involvement with the music department's um, programs in the community, choirs and ensembles and place, uh, those groups that would perform where the public could attend, those sorts of things. Right. And they asked to meet with me. And they said, they asked me if I was aware of anything going on with the Hope Music Department. And I said, I didn't. And then they told me a very interesting story about how multiple faculty were being investigated for uh, alleged wrongdoing that they felt was um, exaggerated, I guess would be the best term. And I explained to them at the time that unless they had anyone who would be willing to speak with us directly and to serve as a source for a story or to confirm anything that they're saying, um, that it would be very difficult to report on such a thing because first of all, it's a personnel issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Any private organization does not have to disclose that kind of information. They didn't have firsthand knowledge of what what was going on. They weren't employed by the college. Um, and also, this is a private college. There are certain transparency tools that public colleges and universities um, that the media can use in order to access um, certain records of, you know, fi- financial things. Sometimes you can get some some disciplinary outcomes, at least, if Job not details. Kind of sure, thing. sure. Um, so our hands were really tied, and we we explained that to them. I, I explained that to them as graciously as I could. It's not that I don't care, but it's I'm very limited in what I can do. And then fast forward into November, and suddenly the music department students are very frustrated, and they decide to demonstrate. And finally, we had something to write about. And so that was the first time that we actually reported a story trying to start to chip away at whatever this was. 
and that day was um, I was joined by our education reporter Aaron Dietzer mm-hmm. yep. for that story. Yeah. Um, and those kids, I mean, you could just tell there were probably fifty. Yeah. You know, they were they were highly organized. Very, I was I was impressed with the. They had shirts. They had you yes. know hashtags. They had signs. They had a song to present. I mean, they were yeah. very organized. Yep. And they gave a lot of time for people to speak their mind. Mm-hmm. And frustration was the one thing that was floating around that day. Right. Um, and they spoke in front of the president's house. Right. So, um, you know, visually it made for... <laughs> a compelling story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to speak with any students about this and, and some of their feelings? Well, Aaron has had the contact with the students. My primary role in the story so far has been with um, current and former faculty members and community members. Um like you said, because this is an octopus story, we have had different contacts throughout the past couple months that are sort of culminating into what we're currently um, publishing. Okay. And I guess before we really get into the meat of the story, mm-hmm. perhaps we should discuss how we handle anonymous sources. Yes. Because you spoke to more than a dozen people. I did. Yeah. Over over two weeks. You yeah. know, and I guess all the president's men and the Watergate thing really laid the the foundation for how the news handles anonymous mm-hmm. sources. Yeah. It's um, a polarizing thing. It is. And this, we usually shy away from anonymous sources. Mm-hmm. Yep. But 13 people, you know, more than a dozen. I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is, um, again, this was, it, it was unprecedented because um, you're right. Typically we have had an anonymous source um, or maybe two for something that is highly sensitive. Um, in this situation, we had we have an organization, an institution, where there are multiple people who either are still employed there and they fear retaliation um, for loss or, or um, some sort of change in responsibilities for their employment, or they are formerly employed there. And there's a various set of circumstances where you know, this could jeopardize agreements and right. what have you. M- many people have left the department um, or have been reassigned or retired. And there's actually still one person within the department that is still under investigation. Okay. From your interviews, were these did these uh, people point to uh, a specific point where the ripples kind of emanated from? Mm-hmm. You know, was there a time, some point in the timeline that we can point to that you know this was the the touchstone that let everything else off yeah well depending on who you talk to they they all said a different version of the same thing and and so i guess when you're dealing with this kind of a story and and when people aren't willing to use their direct names although i will say i know everybody's identity so nobody is anonymous to me and that's a good point to make okay um that when you start hearing the reconfirmation over and over and over, you feel a little bit more confident in trusting the information. You still have to say that it's something that somebody told you right. in, in absence of definitive, you know, CSI proof. <laughs> right. But I feel that it's comfortable to say that there is a very strong faction of people who feel that this was not conducted very well and are unhappy with the with the genesis and and the outcome the overwhelming consensus was that 
they feel that the faculty handbook was not followed. Now the college has asserted that that it was followed. Um, they've made several statements to us in previous stories, as well as making presentations to the faculty, saying and to the student body, um, president and and other executive leadership, asserting that it was followed. And the people that I spoke with said that's just not true. And they gave me some specific instances of how it wasn't. And they feel that whenever the, their concerns came up or they tried to pose them forward to the administration, that they fell, it fell on deaf ears and that there was no response. And that's sort of in line with what the students were saying is that they were asking for any information to let them know okay, who's going to be teaching my classes? Is this person coming back? I joined mm-hmm. this this curriculum because I wanted to study with this person. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what's going on. And, and the reason why they demonstrated was ultimately they felt that the, that the administrative administration was unresponsive. So was there a particular genesis, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, that people are going, you know, for ever since this date, right, it's right. been... Pfft, yeah. Downhill. Yeah. That's every person that I talk to now. And I will say that I, I spoke with people who um, have direct knowledge of the music department and then also people that were outside of the music department. And, and it's interesting to get the different perspectives as to like what they saw and witnessed in this whole thing. Many people believe that it started in August of 2017 when the former chair of the department left the college for another job. Um, it's a very just normal attrition and that there was some disagreement about who should lead the department moving forward. And at the time there was an interim Dean for the college of the arts and humanities. And that person recommended an individual that for some people, um, was an unpopular choice. And, they that person uh, you know ascended into into the role it, in summer of 2017 now meanwhile you you have this interim dean a, a permanent dean is selected who is a different person and then they come in on July 1 you have an interim president who comes in on the exact same day right. because the former president left um you know not under the greatest terms and then we also had a new provost who started just 30 days later on August 1st. Okay. So there is a ton of turnover in key leadership positions. Meanwhile, in the music department, there seems to be some philosophical differences about what programs to offer, what the department should look like, what the budget should be. A lot of people talk to me about just just kind of like just general philosophical conservative viewpoints versus expansion of of new um, you know styles and right. group, group types and that kind of thing. But that none of them actually felt like it was to the point where there needed to be an intervention. So keeping with the status quo versus let's maybe introduce a right. few new right. Okay. Yep. Yeah, many people use the terminology of there was this faction and that faction. And depending on who you talk to, um, I don't know if it was an even split or if there was, if one side was a minority report. But right. um, it just many people said this is very typical of of music departments. And I don't know about I don't know about your college days, but I feel like that's kind of a part and parcel of every <laughs> department in every college and every country ever <laughs> you know i told you earlier i experienced kind of the same thing when i was at michigan yeah and their journalism program went through a similar mm-hmm. philosophical debate yeah. do we want to 
focus more on the research or should we prepare students more for the real real world journalism? Right, right. Well, and, and it over, I went to Central Michigan and yeah. I know that within the past couple of years, they have had a lot of infighting about who should be the chair and you know, a lot of people said that eventually a lot of people said that they didn't want it because it had become such a polarizing thing and they just didn't want to take responsibility for, you know, kind of cleaning it up. Right. Right. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned this faction, that faction, mm-hmm. it sounds like a so that central American government, know. <laughs> you know, overthrow. <laughs> well, that might be a little bit overstating, but I mean, mo- most people said that although it was a thing, it wasn't to a crisis point. Okay. Um, so then we're getting into the end of 2017 and a couple of people mentioned that there was some sort of a, a, a situation with how a tenure case was handled and that they felt that, um, that the decision makers involved either didn't handle it correctly or made the wrong call. And so they decided to write a memo to the new provost and they said, we appreciate the new Dean's, attempt to manage the situation, but we think maybe they're, maybe they don't have quite the context or the information as to how these processes go. Let's all talk about it. Um, they believe that that was sort of the, the, the moment where things started to, uh, maybe an, uh, an unintentional spotlight started to shine on the music department from the provost's office. Would it be safe to say that was the beginning of the crisis? Maybe that's what, all of them said. Um, yeah. Now, I, the the college has been very vague in its responses uh, thus far. I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. But they have they have said this is a private personnel matter. Everything was followed to the letter. Um, that there's a lot of gossip that has gone around and a lot of feeding into some hysteria, and that that people are just kind of you know overreacting. Um, but all all that we do know is that by December of 2017, a third person is tapped to be the chair. And this time, they are not from within the music department. They are from an outside department, the history department. And, you know, so I think that that sort of confirms that at least some of that, um, some of what people were telling me is that, okay, we can't find somebody internally. We're going to at least have somebody that doesn't have any allegiances or right. vested interest in one thing or another to be able to at least mine the store until we can kind of figure out what we're going to do. Right. What were the ramifications then from that letter? Because uh, there were a few people that authored that or at least mm-hmm. signed it that yep. were – I was told that there were seven okay. uh, people. I don't know the specific names that were on that letter. Okay. I haven't seen the letter, although multiple people told me that it existed. And some of them said that their own names were on it. Okay. So, you know, um, take, take that for what it's worth. But they, they felt that it was not a confrontational conversation at all and that they were surprised with the reaction from, from, the, from the provost. Can you delve into that reaction? <laughs> One person said that we were told we were toxic. Another person said that they tried to um, send send communications saying we're we can overcome our differences. Let's just talk about this, and that it fell on deaf ears. Um, another person said 
the faculty were not consulted and it didn't matter what we said. Um, so once you talk to enough people who are kind of saying a similar um, thing with a similar tone, you start to give it a little bit more credibility or at least their perception of what happened. And then we get into January of 2018 and then everything kind of starts to snowball. The wheels are coming off. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, there is a Title IX complaint that is made against four faculty members, three of which end up being the three uh, professors who ultimately end up under investigation, two of whom become suspended months later. Um, the, the complaint, I am told, was, and I'm still waiting on confirmation from the college that which they don't have to tell me um, whether or not that this existed, but I've had at least half a dozen people tell me about it. Um, it was dismissed within two months with, they said, they, I said, well, what was this regarding? Um, they said that it was vague. They said that it had something to do with gender bias. Now, for those of you who don't know what title nine is, it's typically used in some sort of harassment complaints. It, it's to help, keep gender neutrality and equity at college campuses. And it's a, it's a federal law. Every, every college that accepts federal money has to have one of these offices to, as, a, as a mechanism to protect people in case they're sexually harassed or sexually assaulted um, by anybody else who is on the campus. Or even, in, you know, inequality, like you said, in the classroom or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, it, it, yeah. Although, as far as I can tell, none of them were given any real specifics. Now, usually when it, when a complaint is opened, you know, somebody goes into a title nine office, they, they give some sort of information regarding what they're doing. We don't know who this person was. And, and I doubt that we ever will. Um, but the title nine office has to figure out whether or not there's enough of a basis to open up an investigation. So ultimately these people were told that there was not enough, or there was, you know, either there wasn't enough, or it wasn't there that they would be able to move forward with a with a full scale investigation. However, <laughs> uh, during that during that time, and it took two months to do, the provost decides to launch a cultural investigation into the music department using the same resources of the Title IX office. This is a little bit more wide sweeping. I'm, I'm told that 25 people were interviewed, some of them more than once, that more than 60 hours of testimony was taken. And by June, two of the professors are suspended. And one of them is informed that he is singled out uh, to be officially under investigation. And so some of his responsibilities were taken away, although he was not suspended and he actually currently still is under investigation. So after the suspensions, it's unclear as to what the charges are against the faculty and what is going to happen. And this is not really addressed for several months. And that is part of what led into the frustration of the students. So now you're beginning the school year. These teachers didn't return. They, they don't know who's teaching their classes. They don't know who they're going to be working with. And so there's just like a lot of confusion and, and other job responsibilities with other faculty members who are not formally under investigation are changed. There's some people who aren't asked back. 
the college has said, well, this is supply and demand, or this is kind of, you know, maybe budgetary reasons. There's a lot of, you know, um, possibilities. But the bottom line is no matter who you are, there's a lot of confusion going on. And that's when the students got involved. That's when the community members got involved. That's when everything kind of boiled over right before Thanksgiving break. And the administration said that they were going to give some sort of, I guess, more informative response to at least the students by the end of that semester. And it is my understanding, at least according to the students, that that either didn't happen or didn't happen to their satisfaction. Okay. So now we're in spring term, or I guess winter term, however they refer to it, and hope. Yes. Uh, What's been the developments? Have they been contacting the students? Have they been, you know, what's the latest? Enrollment for the spring semester, winter semester, however you want to label it, had already happened. So the students were pretty ticked off, uh, at least the music students. Yeah. And they, you know, they had sort they're, they're making an investment in the college yep. and they think that it's going to go a certain way. And then this, this is, it's a very unsettling thing. It's an unsettling thing for faculty to, to, to either go through directly or to see their peers go through. It's unsettling for students to not know who's going to be teaching the classes or if the classes that they're there for are even going to be offered. Um, several classes were canceled. And then that kind of leads up into a faculty administration meeting on January 9th. Now, what happened at this meeting was the impetus for us to receive a letter from one of the recently departed faculty members. He submitted a letter to the Sentinel after that meeting saying that he was very upset with the way that it was handled and that he wanted to... Um, for the first time in seven months of wondering what was going to happen to his employment there, he w- he wanted to make some sort of a public response. And that was really what launched me on the story. And so then um, I started getting multiple inquiries from people all over campus who were at that meeting saying, I'm not really sure what I saw that day, and I don't know how to feel about it. It, it was very bizarre. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, I'm sitting here saying, uh, you know, I don't even know what to do with this, you know, because we were trying to report the story for months. And and so we never expected to have this um, this to fall in our lap. And so then I started having some conversations with people about whether or not they felt comfortable speaking on the record. And some people did. Some people are fully on the record. Well, I should say a couple people are fully on the record. There are people who are partially on the record where they have made statements that they are fine with, you know, what is being quoted, but the rest is just sort of on deep background to confirm what other people have said. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who are completely off the record who don't feel comfortable being directly quoted, but um, were willing to tell me what they experienced, what they witnessed, and, um, you know, there's a, there's some angst that is still existing on that campus. I don't know how widespread it is because to be completely fair, of course, we're only going to hear from the people who are upset. So I'm sure that there are people there who were at that meeting and were just like, okay, you know, I, all right, let's this move is, on. Yep, yep. Right. <laughs> um, so it's hard to gauge that kind of a thing when you're dealing with, uh, with people who are contacting you and you're not necessarily seeking them out. 
True. That's yes. Uh, but I, the, the students obviously. Yeah, but when you have enough, reaction. when you have a lot of numbers of people, yeah. you start and on a small campus, you just have yeah. to start thinking. Well, there's probably something to this. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned several people have reached out to you. Mm-hmm. Have we reached out to Hope College? Uh, and the people on that end and what have been their response. Right. So this has been a real, a really frustrating thing because like I said, it's a private institution and they have historically in the face of, especially anything that is controversial, been pretty unresponsive or very limited in their response. You know, it's, it's, that's kind of the rules of good public relations, you know, um, to not feed into a negative story and to just be professional and then, you know, weather the storm sort of a thing. This story is one of those stories that just won't go away. (laughs) And I think just, I'm a journalist, so obviously I want people to know as much about things as possible so that people know how to think and feel about the world around them. So I always get a a little bit um, frustrated when organizations just kind of go on to lockdown mode and won't really talk about things because I'm only getting one side of the story. I know that there's their side of the story, and I really wish that they would share that with us. I think that it would go a long way to helping not just the people who are on campus, not just current, you know, students or future students, but also all the alumni and people that, that have just kind of a, you know, an affiliation with the college. I mean, it's a whole community. I think that it's important for them to at least tell us something about something instead of, you know, proper processes were followed. So I tried to contact um, the, the dean, the current dean. I tried to contact the provost. I tried to contact the interim president. I tried to contact the... Uh, incoming president who is currently a a board of trustees member. And then I also tried to contact the chair of the board of trustees and have not gotten any constructive response. Most people refer me right back to the public relations um, spokesperson and you know that it is what it is, but I know that people get frustrated when they only, they say, Oh, this is just, you know, one-sided and it's biased. It's not for lack of trying though. And I just want to be clear about that. They haven't released an official statement to us, have they? They have in previous stories. Right now, um, at, at the time of this taping, um, they have not given us a, a, a new response right. yet. I, we're still waiting for that. And hopefully they, they give us more information by the time that the story publishes. But um, I don't know if it's going to be more than than what it has been previously. They haven't done that yet. <laughs> so pretty much a sentence or two. <laughs> yeah. And I'm asking them questions about, do you, th- do you think that the investigation was conducted properly? Do you think that, that they, these faculty were treated fairly? Yeah. Um, what was some of the thinking into some of the statements that were made at that January 9th meeting? Um, I've had some people say that there were some aggressive comments made towards the faculty in general and that they felt very demoralized about it. Um, I would love to know what, what, you know, some of these people were thinking when they made those statements and what they were trying to accomplish. Right. Well, I thought you did a fantastic job of unpacking everything <laughs> um, and letting people, uh, you know, digest this story in your own voice. So yeah. thank you for 
coming on and giving us a chance to. Yeah, this is a whopper. It's the, it, and honestly, yeah. it was really, it was this, very unexpected and kind of just kind of, <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Yeah, this isn't over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and whenever we, we're dealing with anonymous sources, I have to give the final approval of whether or not we grant condition of anonymity <clears throat> to any source that any reporter is working on anyway. So I was already having some of these conversations with people. So that sort of led to me. It was unintentional in the beginning, right? But then that ultimately led to me conducting the interviews and just writing the story. Yeah, the story, okay. Yeah. And we can expect this Sunday. Yes, it'll publish a uh, Sunday. What is that? February second. Second, yeah. No, third. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yes, the third. <laughs> Today's the thirty-first. I can read a calendar. It's fine. <laughs> First, second, third. February third, yeah. Sunday's Sentinel. Please look for it. Um, Sarah has been working. On top of being an editor <laughs> and managing hey, the zoo breaks, that this right? is, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're a morning zoo crew now. Like <laughs> you're just like the program director, and uh, plus you had to write this, you know, lengthy yeah. investigative yeah, story after this wild week of weather. Sure. Yeah, oh, geez, yeah. yeah. Well, what's one more thing? Yeah, what's one more thing? So look for it in Sunday's paper, uh, Sarah. Was there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? No, just um, always uh, love to hear back from readers. So feel free to reach out and contact me. Uh, and we, you know, also look for it online. We did some, uh, Sarah did some really great digital stuff, uh, components to the story, uh, a timeline. Uh, beside the anonymous sources and everybody you talk to, mm-hmm. we've got documents that. Right. Letters know, that were sent back and forth. Yes. Some emails. Email, right? yep, yep. Yep. And everything's laid out in this timeline. So yep. uh, we've got a video of the students protesting. We've got some photo galleries from the events. So please look for it uh, either Sunday, pick up a, a copy on Sunday's paper or look for it online. And with that, thank you for listening to From the Newsroom. I'm Brian Burnells for Sarah Verleach. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.